we start every service off with what we call a statement of standing, which I won't, um, I, I write it in, in the book, but I won't go into all of it here. But basically, we make it very clear from the beginning that um, everybody's welcome, um, especially the people who are going through any type of um, pain, sorrow, grief, depression. Um, we make space, we, we, listen, we say this out loud, we make space for that, we honor that, and we acknowledge uh, the pain in our own lives. Uh, may you feel that you belong. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the show. I'm Seth. I'm excited that you're here. I think you're going to like today's conversation quite a bit. Before we get there, though, I'm going to need you to rate and review the show on iTunes. We're so close to 100. Let's just do it. Just somebody click the darn button. I know you want to. I see you. I see you hovering on it. Push it. Anyway, thank you so much to the, those of you that support the show on Patreon. You continue to be a blessing you're making things happen every month there's another uptick and another surge there and so thank you to each and every single one of you and if you're getting anything from this show consider doing that it is less expensive than a nasty cup of coffee at like mcdonald's and i mean i mean i mean really who drinks that stuff i i can't anyway so a brief announcement. So if you follow the show on social media, you'll have seen that there's like a little store. And so a little bit behind that, mostly I kind of wanted a shirt and maybe a coffee mug for myself. And I figure if I'm going to go to all that trouble of making that work, then let's do it the right way. And so it is there. I plan to keep it up there as long as there's interest. And so if you want to support the show in a different way, head to can I say this at church.com. You'll see a button. I think it says store. It could say shop. I honestly can't remember. I'm adding things to that about every other week until I kind of feel like I got what I want there. Uh, but I'm enjoying it. I like wearing it. Uh, and, and to be honest, I wasn't expecting the looks that I would get when I wear it out in public. It's just people looking at this shirt going, what do you mean, can I say this at church? And so it is it is inviting conversations in person. And so I'm enjoying that. So check those out. Grab something. I think you'll enjoy it. Today's conversation is with Brandon Carlton. Uh, Brandon has a fantastic story. Uh, he has a story that sounds like a lot of people, you know, questioning faith. How do I fit in? I can't make this work but still deeply and madly in love with Jesus. And so Brandon is doing something differently. He's doing church differently. Uh, he is creating communities, blessed and holy and graceful communities uh, with a different intention. And I like it. I love it. He's written a book. We're going to talk about that. And so here we go. Roll the tape with Brandon Carlton. Brandon Carlton, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Oftentimes people email into the show, but rarely have those people written um, their own book. And so I was um, I was surprised to see your email and really excited to read your book. I also like that it isn't as long as what I normally read. And so I was able to do it and not and not just exhaust myself. So that was that was good. But before we get into that, there has to be a pile of people listening that are unfamiliar with you. So I want to know a bit about you, kind of your upbringing, you know, what makes you, you. 
Yeah. Bring, bring us up to speed on all that is Brandon. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I, yeah, I grew up very religious. I grew up, uh, going to church every single Sunday, definitely every Sunday, uh, but also, uh, usually on, on Wednesday nights and then somewhere in the, somewhere else in the week, normally going to, uh, one of my parents' friend's house to go to some sort of small group or Bible study. Uh, so that was, um, as, as far back as I can remember, uh, I remember my mom tells stories about being on the church softball team, um, diving for ground balls at third base while she was pregnant with me. Um, so that, that is very much my upbringing. Um, and when I was, I, I bought into that paradigm very much. So when I, when I graduated high school, I decided to be, become a pastor, uh, that that's how much I bought into it. So I was a, a pastor in different forms, youth pastor, volunteer pastor, college ministry pastor. I was, I was never a worship pastor, but I was in, in charge of the worship team. It's kind of, uh, like the administrator for the worship team, basically any role other than a uh, lead pastor. I, I served in, um, from about age 19 on. And then when I was about, uh, 25, my wife and I were working at a church and we had a uh, a difficult experience at that church, and uh, that kind of we we left that church, and that propelled us into the season of deconstruction, which um, that and a couple other things also uh, forced us into that. Uh, and then through that deconstruction, I started uh, trying to dream up what a new way to do church, um, a way that I thought was free of some toxic behavior. Uh, and so that's kind of where the, the, the book starts more or less is like, okay, I, I decided to, um, so the name of the book's meaningful again. I decided to try to make church meaningful again, um, after going through my deconstruction. Um, so that's kind of the, yeah, the, the, the three minute version of my life story. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a short elevator pitch of just a, a few people getting on and off. So yeah. deconstruction is a big buzzword. Like everybody talks about deconstruction. I'm curious. I don't know if you're all the, and I don't know that anybody ever is. I know I'm not all the way reconstructed. Although, uh, recently I had, you know, some, some, some bruise with my pastor and he's like, you, you sound different. You know, part of you mm. sounds, you sound more firm on some things. Uh, and less yearning, which I, th- I hadn't really thought about it until he said it. And so, you know, I took a, a swig and and thought about it some more. And I think I think he's right. But why do you why do you, do you feel like more people are deconstructing now than they ever have been, or has everyone really just done that in private and not been so public about it? Like, where do you land with that? Because from what, at the, towards the end of the book, I mean, you're still deeply involved in, in your church. And so you're still having those, com- I'm, I'm having conversations as well, but at a different level, you yeah. know, at a level more for me. And I'm glad other people listen, but I feel like people are talking to you, you know, as a minister about their issues. And so do you feel like it's more pervasive? I think so. I think there's a couple, um, a couple different factors, even if you want to look at it historically, I feel like there has been at least the generation, a couple of generations, like my, my parents' age and maybe so, you know, baby boomer generation, um, the generation before them. I think there was a lot of um, just assumed lifestyles and there, there was no real 
Um, it was, you know, everyone just went to church. That's just what you did. And I've heard a lot of stories from that generation too, about how it was very communal and that way it was more of like, that's their social circle. And that was where they like made all of their friends. That was, they just went to church. It was out of habit and it wasn't really, um, theology in general for quote unquote lay people just wasn't really a thing most people were interested in. Um, and so I think that as time has gone on, I think that's become, uh, you know, obviously with, with the help of the internet, I think that's become more commonplace for, um, the average church attender to kind of get into apologetics or get into theology. So there's that aspect of it. And then I also, the, the cynic in me probably would say that there is starting in the seventies in, in America, there's been a lot of unhealthy behavior, behavior in, in church. And I think that's we're kind of seeing the like the boiling point of that now, or I think in the last maybe ten years, really ten fifteen years, um, a lot of that ugliness is starting to to show itself. Um, a lot of um, people who grew up in church are now being able to think for themselves and realize that like I think I was in a very toxic culture growing up in my church. Um, so I think there's a lot of different um, things that play into that, but I do, and also just public discourse in general has changed so much and we're same with mental uh, illness, mental health issues, same with uh, sexuality. Like these things are becoming more uh, or less taboo, uh, you know, in in a public discourse. So I think there's a lot of different factors uh, that make this generation a little bit different. I think all generations definitely have deconstructed and it was more private, but I do think there's just something about all of those things combined, all those issues coming to a head that makes this a very unique point in time in history, in my opinion. And yeah, and that's one thing that I write about is that, you know, I stepped out kind of in vulnerability and said, hey, this is what I'm going through. And I was kind of nervous to, to post it publicly on, on social media or talk about it with my friends. But the more I talk about it, the more I find other people who mm-hmm. um, are going through the same thing. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely... um definitely a community of people willing to willing to let you do what you need to do and say what you need to say and i'm finding also willing to not point fingers at me like there's a big level of don't get me wrong there are other people that that wouldn't agree with that but the the communities that i'm finding engaging with me and that i'm able to engage with like they they're just slower to start calling people heretic or slower to point fingers or slower to be like yeah, Brandon, you're just too, I mean, you just, you're just missing it. Like, I'm so sorry that you're going to burn, you know, you just, you're just missing it. So, and I, it's so refreshing because most of the time that's not the case in, you know, the world that we live in. And I know face to face, you know, at work or at church or at Walmart and people don't talk that way. Um, although I find I'm becoming more emboldened to talk that way. And people are like, what do you do? Well, here's what I get paid to do, but here's what I really like to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I like to talk about God or whatever. But so I'm curious. So what was it, you know, you're involved in church your whole life. Like what was that linchpin that, you know, at nighttime you went to sleep and you woke up the next morning, you're like, I didn't sleep a wink because I'm pretty sure this part of my faith is busted. Like what was mm. that? There are two different things that happened in my life um, the last five or six years that really um, through my understanding of God into uh, a whirlwind. One was I had a very close friend of mine have an abortion. And that was a very, um, 
to, to see someone so close to me go through that and how difficult it was for her and to hear um as a as a third party person um, i would observe different people saying things to her but then i would also through her hear what other people have said to her um and knowing who she is and knowing what she's about and knowing that it was not an easy decision and knowing that, she, you know, the, the amount of hatred that was um, pointed and directed towards her while she went through that season, um, that was that was really um, disorienting to go through. And then um, the second one, this sounds a little cliche, but I my I, I my office is in a co-working space and I met a, a lesbian couple there about four years ago and they have absolutely revolutionized me and my wife's relationship our understanding of what love looks like mm. our understanding of what god looks like um it, it's kind of it's a little unfair to other um other influences in my life but i would say that they, they have been a very very large influence in, in my life in the way that when it comes to the way that i see god um so both of those um one one uh is a really tragic instance and the other one is a very um, positive life-giving instance, but um, both of those events really um, challenged me to to see things differently. Yeah. So, if you're comfortable, or if 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 it's appropriate, I'd like you to break apart that last bit. Like, how did I, I do understand how intentionally being in community with those that are different than us helps make us into better humans? If we can break that tribalism and and find a different form of a tribe, but how did they like specifically? What changed in your view of how? I guess love works with that relationship being so close. Like what did, what, what was different? Like how did, how did that work? Yeah. So there's, um, there, there's a, there's a, over the years, um, there's a, I mean, I could, I could think of dozens of stories where they've impacted me. One is I was at their wedding is actually, um, we're recording this right around St. Patrick's day. They get one, one, uh, one of my friends, her name is Sarah and she is very Irish and they got married on St. Patrick's day three years ago and hearing their vows were it was some of the most meaning like meaningful powerful vows i've ever heard it was very not very much not traditional christian vows even though one of them becky the so sarah and becky are the couple becky is actually a, a um a pastor but their vows were very much not your like typical christian vows they were this very vulnerable um gut-wrenching almost vows that um were very moving i i cried basically through the whole the, the whole entirety of their vows um but also they um one of the things that started happening when i started deconstructing uh is that i realized that i had no real sense inner sense of who i was um for so many years of my life i had um listened to the church and listened to my pastors, my leaders tell me who I was and tell me what um, the right thing to do is. And I had lost sense of, of my inner moral compass. I lost sense of who I was. And they have, um, in their own unique way, and this, my wife would say the same thing, they have worked, um, not intentionally, they weren't like, we weren't their uh, project or something. But just through being themselves, they have um, given me and my wife so much insight on who we actually are, mm. who God has made us to be. Um, they've helped us find our voice in lots of different ways. 
so then that also fi- finding our voice and finding like who so who do you think god is you know asking those kind of questions mm-hmm. so that that's a couple of different ways that they've really affected us yeah yeah i like that i um i asked that question you know when you talk about god like what do you say like when when someone asks you who is god on twitter the other day and some of the responses were great like someone else I guess quoted something from a past episode that I don't even remember the guy saying. It doesn't matter, but he's like, you know, tell me who your God is and I'll tell you a lot about you. Someone else was like, I don't know, but let's talk about it. Like, come worship with me. Let's talk about it. Um, Yeah. But but it was always conversational and always intentional and community-based. You talk about, and I like it, I actually laughed, so... The last time I heard the words Christian machine, and this is like right up front, like, you know, page six or seven, I was talking with Steve Austin and I'd asked him something about, you know, how churches can just chew people up and spit people out. And he's like, don't even get me started on the Christian machine and went off into this beautiful, like 10 minute tirade that I was like, you know what, that's it. Drop a mic, drop, drop the mics. (laughs) So when you say Christian machine and that, you know, it, it just, you know, you were bought into it and the Christian machine needed you plugged in to keep it running. There's a lot of people that will hear that and think, okay, Christian machine, like, of course, like the administration or K-Love or something else. Like, what do you mean when you say Christian machine? Um, I think you actually say thing, church machine, but I'm going to say Christian machine. Yeah, I think, yeah, the Christian machine is the church, I guess, is a, a way to bridge those together. But that idea of um, the church needs, one, it needs volunteers in order to keep going in my opinion, uh, or the, or at least the, the, and again, I guess let's be, let's clarify before we start down this topic that I'm talking about most, my, my experience is very like evangelical, somewhat Pentecostal, um, Western Christian American church, which, which starts every service with one upbeat song hmm. and a pastor comes up and has a, um, Oh, a word of welcome, and then you sing one more upbeat song, and then one slow song. They're all usually probably Chris Tomlin, and then you have a ten-minute <laughs> uh, sermon offering, and then uh, you have maybe communion, and then you have a thirty-minute sermon, which is followed by one last song. And of course, the last five minutes, the pastor gives the nod to the the guy on the piano. He comes out and he plays a soft pad, or he plays piano for the last. That's the that's what mm-hmm. I when I talk about church. That's what I'm talking about. Which I've seen, and to be fair, I've seen lots of healthy churches that operate that way. Just as as often, I've seen unhealthy. Um, so, in order to keep that specific machine up and running, you need volunteers, and you need well, there's a lot of different things you need, but you need volunteers. You need uh, butts in the seat, which basically eventually turn into dollars. And then on, then you need like a very, um, in order to keep that going, you need to have a very pristine production. Mm-hmm. You have to outperform the church down the street and it becomes a very consumeristic, capitalistic approach to church where you actually have a product that's more or less for sale. And what this, the price of it is, is that the attendance of somebody being in their, in their tithe. Yeah. That that's the price that the, that person is paying. So that's when I when I hear machine, the church machine or Christian machine, that's what I picture. I picture this idea of um, I need to I need to buy into, I need to show up, I need to believe the right things, and I need to behave the right way, and I need to have the right attendance record, um, and then I need to do a lot of those things. Like I need to volunteer. I was this. Uh, there's a new person who came to our church a couple weeks ago and he was telling me about a church that he had just left where they um, 
had what they called Volunteer Sunday. So the entire service is dedicated to trying to get more volunteers. So they bring up volunteers from the church throughout the service, and they give their testimony about how much God has impacted their life through their service to the church. And that all these people, uh, according to my friend at least, he's like, I know these people very well, and they're all exhausted and burnt out. However, they're being brought in front of the whole church as the perfect example of what everyone should be like. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's what I mean by by the Christian machine. Yeah, and I think if everyone listening, for the most part, was honest, they've all been there. Like I know it was a few years back. Like I was, I was saying yes to everything. You know, be on this, be on this, be on this. Do worship, do this. Will you do this? I just don't know how to say no. And my wife was like, "You're gonna have to like, you you can't like you're working full time. You do, you're doing this podcast thing. The kids have ballet and baseball and basketball and gymnastics. I'm also your wife. Dishes need to be done. Like you've got to you, you got to say no. And I was really yeah. intentional with the church, like." except for worship, which I really kind of do for me. Like, that's how I talk to God. I, I like the sermon. Um, they're, they're, they're fantastic. My, my pastor does a great job. But the worship is what does it for me. So I would do that in the back of the, in the, back of the sanctuary, even if it doesn't matter. Um, that's just how, I, that's yeah. just how I, I get down with God. So, um, but everything else was just, nope, it's going to have to be a no. Like, sorry, it's gonna, I'm done. Don't even ask, no. No, just not going to do it. But I think those breaks, you know, or those Sabbaths, to use a nice fancy church word, are, are necessary. Um, you talk about, you know, when you and your wife basically said, you know, I'm going to unplug from the matrix. I'm disconnected from the machine. I'm done with this. You talked about, you, you, you know, you wake up on Sunday and you kind of look at each other like, okay, so what do we, what, what do we do with these three hours? Like, what do we... I don't know what to do. I don't know how I plug into this world. And you, you go through a concept that you call same but different. I think that's what you call it. Mm. Break yep. that out a bit because I feel like there's a lot of people that when they leave church, they don't know how to fill that void. Like there's just a hole there. And so they fill it in with sleep, which sure, I guess that's fine for two weeks. And then after that, what do you do? Do you go to Lowe's? Yeah. Do you prowl Hardee's with everybody else? <laughs> like what do you do? <laughs> so I like if you rip that apart a bit. Yeah, so I actually, that was the original title. That was the, the whole time I was writing, that was the working title of the book. Going to Hardee's? Uh, same but different. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> hey, biscuits and gravy. Those, the Hardee's biscuits and gravy is good. Um, that, uh, yeah. And then I found out that it's already a book written by identical twins. It's the same but different. I would have gone with it anyway. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that idea um, is is actually born from this realization. And I, I have, a, a, I think, a, a couple paragraphs about this in the book. Um, born from this realization when me and my wife went on this cross-country t- uh, trip from – so we're in the Midwest. We drove to the Grand Canyon. We went to Yosemite. We went to a, a bunch of different – went to San Francisco. It was like a – two or three week road trip where we camped out and uh i got back uh home from that trip and i drove across the bridge from uh, from uh illinois into iowa that i drive across every day and i had driven across that bridge uh, without exaggeration i've driven across that bridge in my life a thousand times but when i for some reason when i got back from that trip and i drove across that bridge again everything looked completely different there was something like I had, I was missing out on what was right in front of my, uh, right under my nose, right in front of my face, this beauty that we had in our area. But it took leaving and it took 
seeing different perspectives to come back to the same thing and see it differently. But this idea then I think also plays out in our in our spiritual life. So I have a friend, his name's Aubrey. He hasn't gone to church for a really long time, but he's found community and the stories he tells me from the, this community, it's the local art scene we have here, specifically the local spoken word poetry scene that we have in our area. Um, the life-giving stories that he has told me from the encounters that he, he has had um, that have blown away his... He also was a pastor three or four years ago, and he, he gave it all up. But he he's found the same type of community that he had in church. Actually, uh, in his opinion, a better type of community, a better connection with God, a better connection with those around him, a better life-giving um, or a life system, really, an ecosystem of of support. He has found that not at church. He's found that somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So it's the, it's the same thing, but it's different. Yeah, that, that's kind of the, the idea behind that. got a line in here that I underlined twice, apparently, as I'm looking back over it. I'm going to read it. It says, so I'm confident that if you could have two people left on earth, erase their memories of all religion, eventually they would start a religion of their own. That's just how humans are wired. I mean, I know you wrote that, but I don't, I don't know. I read that and I read it again. I was like, I don't know if I believe that. Like, I'm not certain. I don't know. It seems, I don't know. I don't, why do you think that? Because I don't know that I would care if that makes sense. If like it was just me and yeah. someone else, uh, because that assumes we're even on the same I, continent. Um, I might not ever see true. this other person. <laughs> so why do you think that? Yeah, I mean, I think that it'd take some years, it'd take some generations if those two people could procreate. Um, it'd take a while. But I think that um, historically speaking, from like the, the very first as far back as we can trace it, people were, were trying to make sense of the world around them through an understanding of some sort of higher power, mm. um, whether that's the sun or the moon, the animals around them, or you know whatever it was, they were looking for this thing outside of them. I think that there's this very innate, I think that, um, and I fully respect their stance, and I, but I think there's even atheists um, who would agree that there's something bigger than themselves. They would never call it God, but they would, even if it's a community or um, a, a city, like, you know, that they're a part of this thing that's bigger than themselves. And I think that is this very, it, that we're wired that way. I think there's this very innate understanding that I am a small part in this larger thing. Whether or not you want to find meaning in that, that that's up to you. Um, even, even nihilism, I think still says that we're all like kind of, it's all meaningless, but we're all in this meaninglessness together somehow at the same time. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. I think there's, I agree with you that if if there is only two people and I just have to live out the rest of my life alone with somebody else, yeah, I'm probably not going to really care. Um, (laughs) Uh, what's the point in that situation? But I think that if, you know, a population started to grow from there, and like I said, if everybody had their memories wiped of previous religion, I think you would just start from scratch. People would, it might not look exactly the same, but I think people would start looking for answers uh, to try to explain the, this this world around us. You, you're co-pastoring a church now, correct? 
Is that the right, is that the right term? Well, at the, at the publishing of that book, I was. Okay. So the, um, the Jason was the guy uh, who I talk about a lot in the book, a really good friend of mine. We were co-pastoring for three years and he recently moved to Memphis uh, mm-hmm. for uh, to be closer to his, his wife's family. So now I am a solo pastoring. Mm. What's yeah. been the, so tell me a bit about your current church. Um, and there's a method of the madness. I like the part where you break apart, you know, rituals of the church, you know, the way that we do baptism, the way that we do communion. Um, but I don't want to jump the shark there because I don't think if, if I think if you, if we don't really paint the frame of how your church is set up, it won't make any sense. So how does okay. how does your church work compared to what you described earlier of you know the church machine? You mean from an administrative point of view, or like what a Sunday morning feels like, or all I'm, the above? I mean, really all of the above, but more like if you were to say, you know, all right, Seth, so you're visiting here. Um, welcome to five yeah. minutes away from the next state. Here's what you can expect <laughs> when you come to church. Like, you know, like at my yeah. church, you're going to get greeted. There's coffee, there's there's music, there's a countdown. You know, there's very right. similar to what you talked about. So yeah, how does your church work differently? Or I guess intentionally work differently? Yeah, yeah. So there's a few things. Probably the first thing that you would notice. So you, when you walk in, it, it's very much like any other meeting of, you know, a church or any other kind of gathering, like an AA meeting. That's one thing we've been using. We've been using that language a lot lately, that what we do now is a lot more like an AA meeting than a church service. Hmm. Um, But you walk in and there's, yeah, food and coffee there. Um, And then we start every service off with what we call a statement of standing, which I won't, um, I I write it in, in the book, but I won't go into all of it here. But basically we make it very clear from the beginning that, um, everybody's welcome, um, especially the people who are going through any type of um, pain, sorrow, grief, depression. Um, we make space. We, you know, this is, we say this out loud. We make space for that. We honor that. And we acknowledge uh, the pain in our own lives. Uh, may you feel that you belong. So that's how we start every service. I think probably one of the biggest differences that most people would notice, and this is going to be um, a killer for you, is that we don't sing any songs. You're killing me. Um, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I totally understand it and and actually um not privately but I understand the value of, of music and I I've been on worship teams my entire life. I'm very much moved by music. Um and I find something divine about music. Mm. But we had we found at least with our current group of people that that seem to be showing up um that songs singing songs seem to be more divisive than they are unifying mm-hmm. um so that's probably one of the biggest changes or biggest differences that you would see uh, is that we don't sing songs we also do a group meditation usually on a sunday morning which that's also probably out of people's um, comfort zone most people and then we don't have a traditional sermon so we have a five to seven minute presentation of an idea uh, that is Sometimes me, or I'd say 80% of the time it's me, 20% of the time it's a couple other people that um, are part of our community that um, are thinking about things, different ways to see God. And then we have a group discussion around that. So we have a, a five minute, I'll, I'll present a topic. Sometimes it's not even five minutes. Last Sunday, it was, I had like uh, 30 seconds maybe where I presented a question. So what do you guys think about this? And then we had a group discussion and that group discussion started out being pulled like we were pulling teeth. And then now mm-hmm. it's to the point where 
I, it goes on for an hour and I have to shut it down because we like, you know, it's getting late. What is, um, what are some of those, que- like what would be an example of a question like that? Yeah. So, uh, last Sunday it was, is there, what, what are the pros and cons of defining your faith or talking about God in negative terms? So there's a lot of people that, um, a lot of traditional people, when they hear about deconstruction, they say, I don't tell me what you're against. Tell me what you're for, which mm-hmm. is a great idea. And, and I uh, tend to agree with it most of the time. However, you know, and this is most of our conversations are about getting to the nuance of a discussion and trying to like, you know, pull away, pull the thread at that nuance. And so it's like, okay, well, yeah, so this is not to get, I, I, I try to stay pretty apolitical, but this is kind of uh, like all lives matter versus black lives matter. Uh, if you say, I think we should love all people, that tells me something about you. But if you say, I think we need to do a better job of loving our Muslim brothers and sisters, that says something completely different. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, so if you get the more specific you get, if you say, I don't think God is like this, that tells me more oftentimes uh, there's more information there. There's more being communicated when you say don't. And, so, and again, I see both sides of it. So that was the discussion was, okay, what are the pros and cons of using negative terms or should we always use positive terms um, when we talk about God? So that, that's just one example. What's been the hardest question that someone other than you has come up with? Like that someone's like, here's something I'm dealing with, Brandon. I want to know about or what y'all think about this. What's been like the one that you're oh, like, man. oh man, we can't, we're going to have to table this one for six months from now because I need to do some reading. I think that there really hasn't been one. I know that's a, a, a disappointing answer, <laughs> but there's, we, we do, we do very little apologetics on mm-hmm. Sunday mornings. So it's very, it's not like, okay, was the resurrection literal or what, what about end times or what about this verse? There's very little of that, like that type of discussion that needs research like that. And what we are gathering is based around our Christian roots. So like we still do communion. Uh, We do a very open table style communion, but um, it's at the same time we have uh, two of our most like loyal attenders are atheists. Mm. Uh, there's def there's uh, definitely a couple agnostics that come. I think there's one person that might identify as a Buddhist. Um, so we really don't have, but we 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 don't shy away from talking about Jesus uh, or the Bible. Um, but because there's such a unique um, group of people there, we really to keep an equal footing. We can't necessarily do a deep dive or like an exegesis on Nehemiah or something like that. Like that's just not. Um, half of the room just going to check out if we get into that conversation. <laughs> that's the part that I check into. My pastor <laughs> sometimes will say something, and I'm like, "No one in this crowd understands that he's talking about Eastern Orthodox theology right now in a Baptist church." And everybody is really liking it, but none of you have any idea that what he's talking <laughs> about would have like got him ran out twenty minutes ago, or twenty years ago. Yeah, I just love it. Just love it. Like we did, um, we did like a prayer labyrinth, like a ten minute prayer at the end of the sermon on Sunday, and like everyone. But and and I know he had talked about. It. He's like, I just don't know. I didn't know how it was going to come off. Like it's one of those all or nothing kind of things. Like let's do yeah. this. And everyone I talked to has been like, that was, tra- that was, that was transformative. Where can, can we do that again? Can I listen yeah. to that again? Is it on the website? I need that again. And I was, which blows me away. I'm like, see, see, you just, there's so much more out there. If you get out of it and you alluded to it earlier, if you just get out of that small little, 
this is how we do church. Yeah. I'm curious. So you had said, you know, tell me what you're for, not what you're against. So what are some portions of your theology that can never be the same again? Like you used to believe this and now you're like, yeah, that one, there's no way I could ever believe that again. That, yeah, that are, that I, are non-negotiable for you. I, I want to preface this by saying two things. One, I'm not a theologian. I would never claim to be. And two, I have and was raised in circles where the main goal was apologetics. Mm-hmm. Um, my One of my uh, former churches I, I was at, the senior pastor, now actually does a national apologetics ministry. He's not even a pastor anymore. That's like what he does. So if you're listening to this and I say something and you're thinking, oh, he just doesn't know about X, Y, and Z, yeah, there's a chance I don't know about it. But there's also probably a good chance that I have heard the arguments. And I don't know if we want to. I'm happy to, to um, geek out and get into some of the, the finer points. But I think the biggest thing um, would probably be not... I, I'm on the fence on literal heaven and literal hell, but mm-hmm. if there is a literal hell, I don't picture a God who sends every a large percentage of the um, people who have lived on earth to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's one of the, the big ones for me. Definitely a lot of the things around behavior modification. So um, the shame culture around sex, premarital sex in particular, um, I think also the LGBT community, some of those a little bit, um, also, obviously I, I brought it up earlier, uh, abortion. Mm-hmm. Like, so some of those quote unquote, um, I think they're literally our pet sins. Um, we, I had people, uh, I've heard of lots of people who can't be on a worship team because they, um, they were sleeping with their girlfriend. They weren't married. These are adults. They're 40 years old. They're just not married. <laughs> but the worship pastor would confide in me about his porn addiction. But he was allowed to to right. lead worship every right. Sunday. But they so like things like those quote unquote pet sins that are just like way too much emphasis on them. Um, I think in general that word sin we don't really even use it that much. Uh, not to say that I don't believe in sin or a concept thereof of, of, of behavior that isn't beneficial to you. Mm-hmm. I think one that's really iffy would be literal resurrection. It's not that I don't necessarily, I don't know what I believe about it. I, also, I don't really have a problem believing that it's literal. I'm okay with that. But at the same time, if someone told me they don't believe in a literal, literal resurrection, I'm not going to be appalled by that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to like say that's okay. You're not a Christian then, which I know that one is, is a really um, touchy one for a lot of people. But, um, but yeah, that, that's some of the, right. some of the things. Yeah. I hear, I hear a lot of my, my answers similar to yours. Not all of them. Yeah. I'm pretty good with a literal resurrection, but I'm also, I feel like I, I'm, I'm good with it because I'm literally talking about a, a God of that is so big beyond my comprehension that, why not? Yeah. Like, why not? Here we go. It, it makes as much sense as the concept of God does to begin with. So, yes, why? That, I agree. <laughs> why yeah. not? Yeah, we we um we were talking uh, in our in our Sunday school class at church the other day, and they're they're doing a study on hell. And someone looked at me. He's like, I know. She's like, I know you want to say something. I was like, I can't. <laughs> I'm just in a different spot than y'all. Like, I don't want to tell you that that concept you're talking about is Satan is made up by Dante. And hell's almost always a metaphor. Like literally, every time it's in the Bible, it's a metaphor or a geographical like reference point. Like you know, go up to yeah. the Hardys, get a biscuits, and then take a left. Like it's not what I can't. But I'm yeah. but I'm not willing to argue with people 
about yeah. it. It's not, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. No, no. Yeah. That's why I, we, that's a lot of the reason why we don't, um, we don't talk about that stuff a lot on Sundays is because I don't see it necessarily as a great use of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I write about it in the book, but I, I, I think those are really, we were shortcutting or, or, or undercutting, um, those, those, those topics, those stories. Mm-hmm. I remember someone, someone was telling me once about the story of Jesus walking on water and how it usually gets watered, not watered down, maybe is the wrong word, but it, the conversation stops at, whoa, what an amazing miracle. Jesus could walk on water. And it's this proof of divinity, and it's this proof that he, you know, uh, could perform miracles. Uh, but there's so much imagery there, and there's so much, um, there's so many great questions that are you could ask around that that are completely devoid of uh, whether or not he's divine. Those types of topics I write about in the book about uh, resurrection, literal resurrection. Um, that argument to me is now boring. I've heard, I've read uh, a dozen books on arguing both sides. And I've had um, hundreds of hours of conversations with people Mm -hmm. about it. But the question instead of um, where do you see death and new life in your life right now, that question to me is really interesting. And I think atheists and agnostics and Buddhists can find a lot of um, meaning in that question. And that can create really good group dialogue where we can all learn from each other when we ask questions like that. Yeah, no, I agree. The question that I most often get that I refuse to answer are my view on the end times. And I try mm. to tell people, I was like, I don't want to be flippant. Like, I just don't care. Like, I just, it doesn't matter. Does it matter on me loving my neighbor? Does it matter right. on how I treat people? It does. It does it matter? It doesn't change that. Okay, then why are we talking about it? Like, I'm I'm investing yeah. all this time and all this money, but I'm still ignoring the people in my community that actually need to be loved. So I want to end with this. So you're, you're lead pastoring a church now for lack of a better metaphor or word or verb. Yep. Where, where is either that or where do you see yourself being, you know, a decade from now? That's um, a great question. A question that we are as a group actually actively working on answering. We're doing some strategic planning um, as a, like our, our, co- our core group is trying to figure out where we want to go in the next couple of years. Um, a lot of what we're talking about right now is what we're referencing what we're doing as a community resource. So, um, and this, this kind of ties back into the, the machine question. Uh, so it's a good way to come full circle. The machine re- is dependent on people showing up. If no one's there at all, if no one's attending, if no one's volunteering, it all collapses. And I think that is why we're not why we're seeing the church in America decline is because it's not a sustainable model in, in 2019. So instead, we are trying to frame what we're doing as a in our own minds to help with our own success criteria and our own like under you know. I guess it's almost a survival method too, you know, if, if we have a small crowd. Um, but we're trying to frame things as us being a community resource. So we, we have this resource and it's there for people if they need it, just the way that a soup kitchen is, just the way that an AA meeting is, a homeless shelter, it's there if people need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when people fall, on, quote unquote, fall on hard times, when people get um, kicked out of their church for asking questions about end times or literal hell. When people, um, you know, ha- have a bad experience, they have a they have a place they can turn, 
And really, if, if people aren't coming um, that regularly, I think it's actually a good sign, just like if a homeless shelter is empty. Um, mm. That's like we're happy if that's the case, because um, we're really um, it, it, we're kind of seeing ourselves as a recovery group of sorts. And I, I feel like if I do my job well, um, we won't have the same people there for 10 years. People mm. will come for a time of healing. They will either go to a different church or they will just stop going to church altogether, which is maybe controversial for me to say. But um, we're talking about the beginning about finding community in other places. But it's a time. Yeah, I, I, I see what we do now as this um, offering people a time to come and be healed mm. and to be free to ask questions and to deconstruct and not be judged. Um, and then when they're healed, they can, they can go somewhere else or they can stay, I guess, if they want. But yeah, that, that's kind of where we're going. In I like the future. that. I like that. I've talked with so many pastors and often, and the question I always ask them is why does someone need to be like a 50 year member here? And a lot of them, you know, when the microphone's off, will will just admit like, I need you to still kind of be needy of the portion of God that I can relate to you. Because I have bills and, uh, you know, f- mouths to feed and yep. um, I'd like to go on vacation. You know, like, so there's a, there's a, like the product becomes the message as opposed to the purpose becoming, you know, redemption and shalom and community and love. Yes. But yeah. it's, that's a razor's edge. Like it's, 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 it's a razor's edge. No, no. Um, I, so I, I really I, appreciate that answer. Like that's, that's a hard answer. To be that to, for that to be the answer, like that's a hard answer. It's a completely different um, financial model. It's a completely different, which means it's a completely different model when it comes to um, how many employees you have. When it comes to uh, the building that you're in or you're renting, like it's it's just yeah, it, it's a completely different model. I think it's a more sustainable model. Um, it, uh, we actually have now transferred from being a um a religious nonprofit to a uh, just a regular nonprofit so we can get grants we do a lot of community work and and i know when i was in my my previous um churches i i would look at other churches like ours and say oh they're just a community center and and if i hear that now i it's kind of wear it with a a little bit it's kind of like a, a badge of honor it's mm-hmm. like yeah we are a community center we're a great community center yeah. we are doing the things that i think jesus would do we're standing up for the oppressed we're giving a voice to the voiceless um we're, we're healing people who have been hurt uh, i think we're doing the work of jesus in my opinion so um we are just a community center and i love that that's what we are brandon where do people grab a copy of your book did you draw these cartoons I did, yes. Yeah. So there's definitely some art in here. I liked it. <laughs> I like, I, I liked, yeah, I like it. And then, so where would you direct people to 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 get in, in, engaged with that, or to find to maybe get involved or or support communities like like what you're building to to love on people? Like, where would you direct people? Yeah. So I have I, I've tried to make it as easy as possible. So the name of my book is Meaningful Again. You can I so you can go to meaningfulagain.com. And you can click a link there. It's just going to take you to Amazon. Um, so you, if you prefer, you can just search Meaningful Again by Brandon Carlton on Amazon. We actually just um, added a, a page to our website, which is connectionqc.org. And it's a series of six videos that explain what we do and why we do it and how we're different. Um, so if you are 
a, you know, a, a church leader maybe who's trying to f- find a different way. You could easily sit down and watch those. They're all about three minutes long. Otherwise, you can reach out to me on social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Uh, my Twitter is at BC the Heretic, and my Instagram is at Brandon Carlton CC. Um, and I am very much um, there. There's actually been a few people that have reached out to me who said, "Hey, my my pastor asked me to start this." side thing at my church that sounds like your thing can you kind of walk me through what you did so i'm definitely um yeah open if you have any questions reach out to me and contact me however you can find me fantastic well thanks again brandon for coming on i've enjoyed the chat yeah likewise thank you so much for having me traveling through this world alone there is no sickness toll no danger in that fairy land to which I go, I'm going home to see my the music mixed into today's episode is from artist Solve Lighthaug. You can find her music listed in the show notes and on the Spotify playlist for the show. Really love her stuff. Really a different type of flavor. And it is an honor to have it in the show. So check her out. Really going to enjoy it. Just a